This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome to the show. My name is Braden Dennis. As always, joined by the now much wealthier after 2023, Simon Belanger. <laughs> Good sir. We you know we had a great year. But I really wanted to kick off today's return with something that I think that we missed in our like recap that we did with myself, you, and Dan Kent. Are, are you familiar? Are you caught up in the Ozempic craze? Have you, are, how familiar with this drug are you? Uh, decently. I know it's like it's the type of drug. It's called GLP-1. I think it's a category of drug typically used. Like now it's used more for... For weight loss, but where it originally was developed for diabetes to lower blood sugar, if I remember correctly. So I, I knew about it, but I don't know enough about the space to feel that comfortable to talk too much about it. It's probably the, the best way to explain it. Yeah, and I think that's okay. I mean, this doesn't have to be the Canadian science investor today because what started as, yeah, you're right. That's that was how this drug initially came to be. And then celebrities started using it, you know, it became the kind of influencer LA uh, celebrity bro type of thing to take. And then now it's kind of like permeated into, hey, you want to lose weight? Here's the magic pill. You know, like <laughs> we've been seeing those clickbait ads on Google's uh, banner ads for the, the entire existence of the internet. And here is that magic pill. And I, th I think it was... Uh, we missed it as uh, you know one of the one of the hot stocks of last year, which is the Danish Danish, right? I think they're Danish. Uh, Novo sure. Nordisk, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. the, the the drug manufacturer. So I always try, Simone, to learn something about investing when I get on a plane. And what what I mean by that is when you go somewhere new, there's new businesses, there's new companies. You're like. Oh, I've heard about this company, but they have a lot of local presence here that might they might not have back home. Uh, something I didn't know about before. Adoption of certain technologies, you know, list goes on and on and on. And in my yuppie bubble of Midtown Toronto, people dressed in Lululemon, they're fit. They go to their morning walk for their no foam, no fat Starbucks. They have social events where they go in ice baths and talk about motivation. They brag about expensive yoga memberships. They buy organic groceries. I am in the yuppie bubble. And people are generally pretty fit, okay? And I was just in Southwest Florida over the holidays. No hating. I'm not hating. I love Florida. I love the like, people there. Uh, on the golf side, right? I on guess. the golf yeah, side. Yeah. yeah, okay. And... You know, this is a lifestyle of the car, okay? It's it's not like, you know, rural Florida or like, you know, the rural Southwest US, but it is a different lifestyle when it comes to health. There ain't no drive-through salads, green juice supplements going on around there, man. It is just so different, okay? And people, you know, you don't get anywhere without a motorized vehicle. Like it's just, we'd go for like walks or for runs and I would run like miles and not see one other person on foot. 
this is not like I'm not it's not tumbleweeds going down the road like it's not a desert it's just a different lifestyle and so when Ozempic took the this, the world by storm last year and this drug maker you know rips to nearly 500 billion in market cap I see the Ozempic ads on the boards of Leafs games and you know the, now the 15th largest company in the world by market cap this this uh, Danish drug maker Novo Nordisk I thought ah this is a fad right no this ain't no fad I'm just in my organic superfood yoga ice bath bubble people need this they're going to buy it and especially in the places where I've been so uh, unaware of of just how obese people are dude like it it is it is serious man like i i think i've been uh head in the sand about how much people need this just generally in especially especially the areas i was just a part of over the holidays yeah little do you know maybe all everyone in toronto already uses it that's why they're (laughs) yeah exactly yeah (laughs) that's right I mean, there's, and what's interesting about that drug is, I guess it'll be interesting to know the longer term effects. I also saw, I read a little bit about it a couple months ago, and I think one of the issues is you, you lose fat, but you also lose muscle mass. So when you lose the weight, so I think, uh, you know, for some people. It's just a hunger suppressant, right? Like, I don't actually know that much about it. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the the main idea is like, yeah, hunger suppressant. I don't know exactly what happens when people go off of it. Does it, does their appetite get back? And I mean, from personal experience, I think it does. People say they get, they gain all the weight back yeah. as soon as they take it, stop taking it. Yeah. And from personal experience, I mean, I struggled with my weight until I was like 13, 14, like through kid and early teenager. And I eventually lost the weight, but you know, a lot of people that are, you know, fit or slimmer and have been all their life. And sometimes, you know, it's gene related. Some people can just see what they're, what the hell they want and they still have a six pack. Right. But you know, when you're not, I mean, it definitely takes a lot of willpower and determination because it is like a bit of a drug, right? You get to food and you get those, uh, enzymes or whatever, like, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but that's, you know, released in your brain and to get over that it's not easy and i think a lot of people are just looking for a shortcut that's right and i think people have been looking for shortcuts with this for as long as humans have figured out how to have food in abundance and that's only increased rapidly over the last hundred years and here is potentially the magic pill and so if over the next 15 years I think that this will massively change society if we find that, okay, maybe there are some drawbacks to the pill or, you know, there are side effects. I don't think anything like this will not have side effects. I, I I mean, this is, I'm, I'm new to the drug. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, like maybe yeah. it has really bad side effects, but if they come to the conclusion that, okay, they're, we're okay with the side effects or at least that they are much less bad than being morbidly obese, then this is going to be everywhere because it is so much easier than, yeah, you're the addiction your brain has to food. And so even if you say like, yeah, this drug sucks though, because 
you know, you stop and people gain the weight back. Well, of course. <laughs> Guess what? Get back on it. Like this is going to be a big thing, I think, over the next 15, 20 years. And it's one of we're we're gonna talk about our resolutions as investors going into next year. And this this feeds really well into my next one, which is just pay attention, man. Like you know, sometimes you fall victim of your own biases and the things that you experience anecdotally and just pay attention, like think a little bit bigger. And if that means getting on a plane and learning a little bit about what's actually going on outside of your bubble, I think it's worth it. Yeah. And I think we're both kind of in the same boat, right? I think pharmaceutical, it's not in our spheres of competence. Uh, and I think we tend to shy, at least for me, I tend to shy a bit away from that. And typically, if I were to invest, I just choose probably an ETF route and just choose an ETF. I mean, I know it'll be actively managed. Most likely their fees will be a bit higher, but that's uh, the route I would choose. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, do the risk, you know, do like you said, are the benefits outweighing the risk or the potential side effects for this? That's right. All right. So you got uh, 10 Speaking of ETFs. ETFs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have 10 ETFs that, you know, going into the new year, people typically tend to look or they, if they're a passive investor, they might do some rebalancing. They might re-strategize. They might look for some lower fees, simplification, all that stuff. And you don't need to Google search. You just need to listen to this podcast, this summary that Simone's going to give you on, and kind of all your options and the low cost for passive investors. Yeah, exactly. I actually ended up doing about 15, but I grouped them in different categories. Oftentimes there's like, especially when you're looking at BlackRock and Vanguard, there's other, you know, ETS provider, there's Fidelity, one of our sponsors that I think they have some really interesting all-in-one options. But if you're looking for more equities, which is the lens I, I looked at, um, just to give people some options, especially if you're starting to invest. Uh, I know it's a lot of people, their New Year's resolution, even if you don't have a lot of money ETFs can make a whole lot of sense because a lot of brokers offer zero commission ETF buying at the very least. Uh, but before I get started on that, I wanted just to wrap up 2023. Um, I know the joint TCI members probably remember, well, they're aware of this because I give updates every single month, but I started a little experiment at the beginning of 2023 to show that you don't need a lot of money every month to invest and still make a difference in the long run. So originally I had planned to invest $50 each month in the ETF VQT, which is essentially a global index ETF. And to make things easier, I ended up alternating between buying one and two shares uh, each month. That way I didn't have to keep track of the you know amount remaining. If I bought one share, there's like 1463 remaining. So I roll it over to the next month, buy two and so on. So I just did one and two. So my monthly average ended up slightly higher at $52. But I think I'll get a pass on that one. I'll throw it out. Yeah. Nope, 52 <laughs> bucks. Sorry, it doesn't count. And I ended up investing 629, which grew into 668 at the end of the year for returns of 6.1%, clearly lower than the S&P 500 because VQT, obviously I ended up dollar cost averaging with this strategy every month, but VQT definitely has a quite heavily weighted Canadian equity exposure, uh, which most likely, well, definitely dragged on the returns and as well emerging markets, there's some decent exposure there. So compared to the US, they definitely underperformed a bit. 
it, but that's fine. There are different options, which I'll go over in just a second here. And obviously to have this kind of strategy, especially if you're investing like less than $500, I would say every time you invest, um, you definitely want to make sure that you have no fee uh, for buying because if not the commission will start eating quite a bit into that amount that you're investing now i'll be continuing this uh, this year but i'm actually increasing it my goal is to make up for what i'm not contributing through my work because i am working part-time now and the rest of the time working on the podcast so because my level percentage of contribution that hasn't changed but because my salary is prorated lower total amount contributing is actually lower so i want to make up uh, for that with uh, the ETF buy on a regular basis. And I'm also changing the fund from VQT to XAW. The main reason here is that I want to reduce my overall exposure to Canada. I've been pretty vocal on this before. I just see too much risk in having too much exposure to Canada when Canada represents less than 3% of the total global stock market. And I think a lot of Canadians, you, you know, we are both biased. Like we're still way above that in terms of Canadian exposure, but it's something I'm conscious about and I want to reduce. Anything you want to add before I get started? No, I think that that's good. And I think one thing to point out specifically too, and the difference of performance compared to like a SPY or something, or just looking at the S&P 500 index is currency. I I believe the one you're using there is, is denominated in Canadian dollars. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Typically, you'll still benefit from, especially if you have a lot of exposure to the US or there's going to be some ETFs here that are essentially like US total markets, but traded in Canada in CAD. You'll still benefit from a strong US dollar because it's going to convert and essentially help your returns. But when you don't benefit, I did not add any because I'm not a fan of those. I did not add any hedged ETFs because over the long run, they just don't perform well because the US dollar tends to outperform the Canadian dollar. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do that, just own some in CAD and then just own the US tracking ETF in US dollars. If you like, that's what I would do if I was a passive investor. Yeah, so now I'll get started. So the first category, there's four in this category here. So I'll give different options. The first one is the iShare. So this is the Global Broad-Based Index ETFs. You'll see that for the most part, these are index ETFs because I wanted to keep fees low. The first one is the iShare Core MSCI All Countries, excluding Canada. The ticker is XAW, fees of 0.22%. It's in Canadian dollars. It's all equities, 63% U.S., 37% rest of the world. There's actually 10% of it in emerging markets and 6% in US mid and small cap. So really well diversified, still pretty US heavy, but I do like, and that's the reason I chose this one is I like the emerging market, the rest of the world exposure and the US uh, mid cap and small cap. The next one on the list is the Vanguard FTSE FTSE. I'll pronounce it FTSE, I think uh, more than once here. The global all cap excluding Canada index ETF, very similar to XAW, just from Vanguard, same fees of 0.22% in Canadian dollars. And the allocation is essentially 
pretty much the same. They just have a slightly different index, but it's going to still be heavily weighted towards the biggest mega caps in the US. So pick your poison if you'd like between the two. If you prefer Vanguard or BlackRock, aside from that, very similar. And I had someone on Join TCI actually ask that. I said, look, I don't think you can go wrong with any of those if that's the kind of exposure you're looking for. Uh, the next one, so it's the BlackRock Global ETF, XEQT, and Vanguard Global ETF, VEQT, so the one I re referenced earlier. The BlackRock is 0.20% fees, and the Vanguard is 0.24%, both in Canadian dollars. They're all equities, um, slightly different allocation, but roughly 45% US, 25% to 30% Canadian equities, and 30% rest of the world. So for those looking for more Canadian exposure, for example, that could be an option. Um, that's not what I'm looking personally, but you know, still a very reasonable option. And one thing that people notice is the fees, you know, they'll, they'll remain very low. So that's one thing that you can control are the fees when you invest. Anything you wanted to add on that first category? I'm just looking at this list. Is there, cause you can go, and I, I don't mean to uh, no, steal no. your thunder here, but you can go like VFV or XUU for, for US exposure, yeah. super low fees. And then you can go like XEQT for global exposure. But those global exposure ETFs have way too much Canada. Like yeah. they have tw a quarter of the fund is Canadian equities, and it's like supposed to be a global, broad-based, you know, coverage to to stocks. Is there anything that's traded in CAD on the TSX, but it's like three percent, like something that's actually relevant to the market weighting of CAD on a global scale? I haven't found any. There might be some. Um, I think the best way that people could do it is you take like the XAW or VXC and you just, yeah, you combine it with one that's a Canadian focus, like a VCN, for example, or an XIC that I'll talk about. I think that's We're going to get lots of messages like, ah, oh, you're forgetting about this one. Please do, uh, you know, let me know because if there yeah. is one that I'm describing, mm -hmm. if it's a Fidelity or a BMO or whatever, like, you know, let me know. Yeah, there I'd is hunt like... There's hundreds of ETFs listed in Canada yeah. and there's thousands in the US. So clearly, you know, if you look, you can find some interesting stuff. But this is just to give people, especially those who are starting to invest and want to dip their toes into investing, may not be comfortable owning individual companies just yet. These are great ways to start depending on what you want to achieve and what exposure you want. Now, the next category is the broad-based US index ETF. So this is specific to the US market. The first one is the Vanguard S. S&P 500 index ETF. There's VFV in Canadian dollars, VO in US dollars. They're both below 0.10% in fees. They're all equities. They track the S&P 500 index and they are market cap weighted. Pretty much all of these are market cap weighted, meaning that the larger the company, the heavier the weighting is. So definitely more exposure to the top names like an Apple, Microsoft, um, you know, name your, insert your big tech company there. And then the next one here is the BlackRock US total market ETF. I do like these very similar to the S&P 500, but they're broader. Essentially, it's all the US market. So the tickers here, XUU in CAD and ITOT in US dollars, again, both below 0.10% in terms of fee. It's just 
Very similar to SP500, just you get exposure to the whole US stock market. I do like that because it does provide some exposure, although small because the bigger name have the most exposure to small caps and medium caps. Before, I know you like US, um, <laughs> US index ETF. Anything you want to add before I go on to the next uh, three categories? No, I think that that's good. There's the people always ask, do I do the S&P 500? Or I do the all, all <laughs> the entire exposure to the US market because they're market cap weighted. It's like, when I say it doesn't matter, I, I don't mean because I'm not trying to answer your question. I mean, because it doesn't matter. If over the last five years, I went on FinChat and I just compared the performance of VOO versus ITOT, which are the US listed uh, US dollar funds of the S&P 500 versus the all market. Over the last five years, the S&P 500 one did 108% and the total market one did 106%. Like, It's not a big flip difference. A exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. flip a coin. It, it doesn't matter. It's because they're market cap weighted that you're looking at such a different such a small difference in alpha that'll be generated by those small companies that it doesn't matter. I would just go with the lowest fee one of all of them and call it a day. Yeah, they're pretty much identical almost in fees. I mean, we're talking about a couple basis points difference or the same fees. So, you know, I think they're all good options just to say that. Now, the broad-based emerging... Don't sweat the small stuff is the, no, no, is exactly. the is the big thing here, right? Like, don't overthink this. Yeah, and I wanted to add, because we've had that question, Dan and I did a mailbag episode and someone was asking about emerging markets. So I thought I'd put one here that I thought is really interesting. Um, there's two. So there's the iShare MSCI Emerging Market X China ETF. Actually, and they're both, one of them is in USD, one of them is in CAD. So the USD is EMXC, the Canadian dollar is XEMC. I would stay away from the Canadian dollar one because the USD one is 0.25% in terms of fee. The Canadian one is 0.30, but it, it doesn't include all the uh, trading fees. So it's gonna be a bit higher than that it's essentially managed by rbc and listed in canada it just holds the u.s one that's exactly it okay. but for yeah for people wanting in cad i mean it is an option i would not go towards that one but essentially they're identical aside from that you're just paying more fees for the canadian one and it's all equity it excludes china which i'm a big fan of Two-thirds of it is in India, Taiwan, and South Korea, and one-third is the rest of the emerging markets. I think the rest of the one-third, the biggest um, the biggest one is like Brazil there. But it does give you some pretty interesting exposure, and with the risks that are associated with China right now, we won't get in, we've talked about it at length in previous episodes. I think it's a really interesting ETF for those who want to maybe allocate 5% of their portfolio to these markets. They've underperformed US, but you know, past returns and future returns are not, uh, you know, not necessarily the same thing. So that's something to keep in mind. Anything to add to that one? I thought I lost a lot of money buying Tencent and I did. <laughs> <laughs> I saved myself more money by selling it at a huge loss there because you go. it has been tough, tough sledding for these tech stocks in China. The Tencent, Alibaba, dude, they trade at ridiculously low multiples 
And I don't see any sort of catalyst for that turnaround right now because it the, the story's getting worse, not better. Yeah. Yeah, the economy is getting worse in China um, without getting into the granular details, but the economy is getting worse. They're essentially in a dead bubble over there. Real estate, which a lot of Chinese have their wealth in, is doing terrible. You have companies uh, that are not able to you know, service their debt obligation and the economy as a whole is just not doing well. There's just so. no confidence from foreign investors. No, and all. then you have the wild card of you know, the political spectrum in China that essentially on a whim have shown that they will just put these regulations against businesses, which is the other thing. You know, the the bad economy would be one thing, but then you pile on the fact that the, the Chinese, the CPP will essentially decide to do whatever they want. It may be good for you. It may Gotta not give be. them some credit. They they act and moved fast. <laughs> Almost everything. Yeah. yeah, you know, our governments aren't capable of doing that. I don't know if that's a good thing, yeah. but uh, maybe like uh, somewhere in between would be good. But uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The next one, next two are Canadian. So for those looking to get some exposure to Canada, it's a broad-based index ETF. Pretty much identical. So one option is from BlackRock. The other one is from Vanguard. The first one from BlackRock, ticker XIC. Uh, Vanguard is ticker VCN. Almost identical in fees, 0.06 for BlackRock and 0.05 for Vanguard, both in Canadian dollars. They're all equities, Canada only. Um, they're, the Vanguard one is the all cap, essentially the all cap is the S&P TSX composite index. So very similar. So if you're looking to mix and match and allocate maybe more like a, a 5 to 10% instead of a 30%, if you chosen VQT, for example, that's a really good option if you want some Canadian exposure, but control it a little more with other ETFs, for example. Now, the next three, uh, the next two, I think, for people looking to just have some cash and cash equivalents in terms of obviously a savings account like our sponsors offer at EQ Bank. Those are great. They're the most liquid. You need the money right away. But a good alternative if you want something really liquid is the Horizon 0 to 3 months Treasury Bill ETF. Uh, the first one is C-Bill. The second one is U-Bill. C-Bill is in Canadian dollars. U-Bill is in US dollars. The They're both at 0.10% and 0.12%. Now, they both offer a net yield. So when you subtract fees of just around 5%, slightly higher. The Canadian one is backed by the government of Canada with uh, zero to three months treasury bills. So they're just short-term debt from the government of Canada. So you won't lose capital if interest rates go up and down because they're really tied to what interest rates are in place with the Bank of Canada. And in my view, it's as safe as it can get if you're looking for these type of money market funds because it's backed by the government. And the same thing for you, Bill. It's backed by the U.S. government with zero to three months treasury bills. It should be a good option as well for TFSA. Uh, I reached out to them. They said there's no withholding tax. I have in my portfolio. I haven't had the first payment just yet. Should get in the next couple of days. So I will know if uh, it's true what they were saying. And the reason I chose Dota over these high interest savings ETF, like a PA, PSA, HSAV that have become really popular, is that recently regulators I, like uh, said that they will be imposing more restrictions on these, which will bring down the yield or the interest about 
about 50 basis point at the end of the month of January. And on top of that, these are not CDIC injures, and neither is C-bill and U-bill, but at least they are back by actual government debt. So in my view, you get a higher yield and a safer investment than you would with these high interest savings ETF. I'm just looking at your next one. Is that really the ticker? Yeah, EBIT. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to EBIT. make it. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to start EBIT. Uh... Yeah, EBIT. So it's actually, so I wanted, I was at 14. I'm like, you know what? Let's make it a clean 15. And with the whole talk of a US spot Bitcoin ETF, and a spot Bitcoin ETF just means that it follows the price of Bitcoin. There are some ETFs in the US that look at the future price, and those are very tricky to invest, and they're not great to hold for long term. Now, in Canada, we already have some spot Bitcoin ETFs, quite a few. And the one that I saw with the lowest fee, is the Evolve Bitcoin ETF EBIT uh, fees of 0.75%. So for those looking to invest in Bitcoin and you know have exposure to it, I think it's a great option if you're just looking to have a little bit of exposure or have it in a registered account like a TFSA or RSP. And maybe you just want to get some exposure before you dip your toe into buying some actual Bitcoin and doing some self-custody. So I think that's a great way for people to get a little bit of exposure. But as always, any of these, these are just kind of suggestions always do your research you know there's risk for any investment and it's not investment advice so if you do choose any of these etfs or multiple of them just make sure you do research and allocate accordingly the last one i'll throw in is of course we've been doing sponsorship with fidelity's all-in-one etfs and yes they're a sponsor but the all-in-one growth etf ticker f grow it is a higher management expense ratio than you're you would you'd be looking at with some of these other ones listed, but it is actually the only one I've seen that is different. Like when it, when it comes to buying ETFs, I always say if they're just broad based, covering a you know huge basket, just go with the lowest fee. It doesn't matter. Just 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 pick one and stick with it. Go with the lowest fee. This one is actually really interesting because it is all in one where it has, you know, investment grade debt, US US equities, international equities, Canadian equities, and has 3% Bitcoin. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are, you know, maybe super against that. Then this is not the this is not the ETF for you. But a lot of people just want a tiny little bit of exposure as chump insurance. And I know I have. Yeah. And guess what? It's made a lot of money, a lot of money, and it's made you even more money. So uh, that is obviously one I'd throw in there. Yes, they're a sponsor, but it, it is worth mentioning as well. Yeah, and the fees are actually quite reasonable. I think it's zero. I'm looking at it here, zero point four two percent. So yeah, really reasonable. I was actually going to do a segment in a future episode to look at different areas too. I think because ETFs, there's so many things, right? If you want to get exposure to a geographic region, an all-in-one ETF, there's the target date uh, ETFs that we talked about. So depending on what you want to accomplish, and I know some people will be like, oh, I would never do that. But for some people, it's actually like a really good option option and you have to keep that in mind like it's and if one buy every month is going to keep you on track with the all-in-one option like that's dude that's worth it's that's worth money right there just simplicity yeah all right let's move on to our lessons from 23 and plans for 24 to round out today's show we'll go one by one uh you and i both have basically three and three or 
more <laughs> almost three and three of each. So uh, let's kick it off. I'll go first. You and I both had a great year. I returned thirty nine point six percent in the calendar year. Why couldn't I just get a clean forty? But hey, you know we'll take thirty nine point six. Some of the best performing positions and 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 some of the best performance in the stock market are when things look the worst. If we look last year at some of the months where things looked the worst, inflation was rampant. The Fed was hiking. You didn't know where it was going to go. There was a war starting in Israel. Still lots of unrest in Ukraine. What's happening? What's happening? My portfolio did like 13% that month. And so things can look terrible and often the best performance in the market comes right off of when investors have found the bottom of what they're willing to tolerate. So stay invested all the time. Uh, you know, if you're if you're going to be here for the next few decades investing your money, stay invested. You know what happens when you don't when you miss some of the best days of a decade of investing it means you don't get any returns. So don't. <laughs> it's risky to not be participating in some of those days or weeks or months or years. So stay invested. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, couldn't agree more with that. Was that your your last one? I thought you had more lessons. No, oh, well, should I just rifle them all off and then you- Yeah, like, oh, okay, okay, okay. okay I, let's I misunderstood. Yeah, I misunderstood no, how you were going. Okay. <laughs> let's just do that. I thought we that. would do like lessons and then 2024, yeah. Okay, fair okay. enough. Okay, I'll, I'll do my four, you have, you have three. All right, so my second one is conviction pays off. That was a big lesson for me this year. I mean, if you look at my portfolio, I size things based on conviction. And hey, hey guess what? It worked really well. And I, and I think that conviction pays off. So take the time to build conviction in positions you own cuz that'll that'll be the the willpower to stay invested in some of these names through tougher times and that's when you're going to get the big payoff. Uh 3. Be willing to change your mind about companies you've had hard opinions on. I've talked a lot about this specific example. But the company that I thought was going to be the worst business I've ever seen just a few years ago, I think is set up to be extremely good business over the next decade, which is Uber. And so that was like, it felt like I was like losing my value investor ways by really liking looking at the stock. And it was actually just the ability to change your mind when the facts change, because the facts did change. Uh, number four, focus on what you're good at. Uh, you and I both did extremely well with very different approaches. You leaned into what you're good at. I leaned at what I'm good at. A and it's not because, oh, I, I think that's just going to lead to better performance, which I think it is. But it's going to be that you actually spend time on the things that you like. I couldn't give two shits about what economists say about the macro. And that's okay. You do, and you 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 make decisions based off of that, and you actually spend the time on learning about macro. There's multiple ways to win here. It's just that I don't enjoy spending time on it, so I don't spend any time on it. And you can still make lots of money. So those are my four lessons to round those out. Conviction pays off. Stay invested. Be willing to change your mind and lean into what you're good at. 
Yeah, no, those are great. So for me, for 2023, the first one is less and more. So I've been pretty vocal about that. So I, I felt like I had just too many individual stocks in my portfolio just because I didn't have the time to keep track of all of them. So I went from having 20 individual stock position to 13. So pretty dramatic reduction, <laughs> probably most a lot more than what a lot of people would be expecting. But I'm comfortable with that. In my view, I'm definitely comfortable with adding a few more positions, but the most flagrant one that I did was that I kind of chopped out all the mega caps that I had and then I just put it in index ETFs in the US because I get that exposure there and remove a couple other names as well. And I actually became more diversified by doing that because obviously with the increased allocation to ETFs and of course they have like I just talked about extremely low fees. Now like I said, fine and adding more position. If I have some strong conviction, that's fine. But definitely I want to keep it in the at the most like the high teens. The second one here is block out the noise, because if you have strong conviction, like you alluded to in a position, because you did your own research and you've concluded there is value to the position, then stick to it. That doesn't mean, you know, if things change materially to not change your investment thesis, but if they do not, and it's just outside noise that doesn't impact your investment thesis, then definitely, you know, stick with it. And a perfect example for that for me is Allied Read. I'm obviously well aware of the risk involved there. And needless to say, it's been a, there's been a lot of bad headlines when it comes to office real estate since I started my position in early 2023. It's lagged the market. It's uh, down 10% now, but at some point it was down about 25%. And I could have sold and panicked and then obviously incurred the loss, but there's really nothing that changed in my thesis. And they were doing the right move and showing the right metrics every single quarter. So I still think that, um, you know, it's an interesting investment. I still have conviction in it. Anything you want to add to that one before my third one? No, I think that I think that that's right. There's two things that popped out to my mind is the big tech allocation, like I, I do think that that's fair, uh, and it, it is one of the criticisms I got when I shared my portfolio on Twitter, which, by the way, I'm completely open to criticism all the time. Most people really like my portfolio. I mean, it's mostly Constellation software, yeah. but some of the other comments are like, you know, why own 5% Microsoft, 5% Apple? Uh, sorry, why own 5% Google, 5% Microsoft? Why don't you just roll that up into like S&P? It's basically that, you know, <laughs> that's basically yeah. the fund. And I think it's pretty fair uh, comment. Uh, you know, it's like, well, I own a bunch of positions that are like 6% big tech when you can just have the S&P do that for you for basically no cost. So I think that that's a fair assessment, actually. And then the second one is with this commercial real estate investment trust that you own. The sentiment couldn't have, like, I don't see a world where it gets any worse. No. It's not for the faint where, of heart, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, like I can't think of a of a sector like over like the last ten years. There's been very few things that have looked as ugly as commercial REITs, like in the past twenty four months. So uh, it's tough. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is probably 
cannabis stocks i think that's yeah. from cannabis stocks and then if you go back like 15 years like uh u.s banks i would say mm. like in the midst of the great financial crisis but yeah i mean it was yielding at some point not anymore but it was yielding like 11 percent allied which is crazy oh like oh my yeah, god yeah it's crazy because typically that's a company that will be like cutting its dividend that, you know, the reason the yield is so high because the price is so low, but usually there's a good reason. But, you know, Allied was, you know, all the metrics still kind of chugged along, small increases there and here, some some decreases, but nothing kind of alarming. And it's especially since the the infamous Fed pivot, it's been doing a bit better, but their debt is very manageable and it's staggered in a very reasonable way. So there's in my view, there's not too much concern there. The biggest concern is just just the demand side, especially if we enter a recession and then combined with the working from home trend, that could be a pressure point going forward. To me, the lesson is think for yourself, right? Like Exactly. That's it. Yeah. And then the last one, cash is not trash, sort of, I guess. But I never had all that much cash just because it didn't provide any real rates of return. And real rates of return is just when interest on your cash is actually higher than inflation is. And that's what we've seen for most of 2023. And that's not something we've really seen in the past decade or very only for short periods of time if we have. And you know, getting that real rate of return, in my view, makes cash a whole lot more appealing. Obviously, you know, I'm not saying here, like, go 100% in cash. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm mostly invested. I'm 90% invested or 88, 89% invested. But given the current valuation levels, I'm more than happy and having about 10% in cash and hedging a little bit in case something does happen. It's not really that much of a drag on my portfolio, in my opinion, because of those returns. But clearly, that could be subject to changing, uh, depending, obviously, if interest rates go down, then the real return on cash may be negative, uh, depending on where inflation goes. So it's something that Let's me being quite nimble, happy to have it, but it's ready to deploy it if I need to. But I know it's not for everyone, most people, and I know you're mostly close to 100% invested, but I'm happy to have a little bit of kind of safety. And I know it's in cash and cash equivalent. So if there is some sharp changes in interest rates, I'm not going to get any capital loss in terms of the, uh, the, the amount invested. It's nice too because you know you and I have to set aside a ton of money for tax yeah. tax season, and I'm like I'm not putting anything that has a you know due date of less than twelve months in the market, and so it's been really nice from that perspective to actually get yield on just this kind of like dead money that you're gonna yeah. have to pay in like six to eight months. So uh, no, that's been nice too. Yeah, I love the GICs from EQ Bank for that because like it actually like locks it in. You can. Like usually get it pretty close to tax time and then yeah. it's locked in so you can't touch it. You can't make any like, you know, oh, I'll, I'll spend it, but I'll make it back later, which I know a lot of people get in trouble with. So I, I that's a strategy I've been using. And I like the UI because when you ladder them, you show exactly like the mature day. It's just a nice interface to be able to actually plan uh, for that stuff. Are you saying it's better than uh, the big banks? <laughs> so... Oh God, I have had, <laughs> I, how about I that, is, how about that is my 2024 resolution to spend as little interaction with Canadian big banks 
possible because I, I, my, I can feel my organs age faster and the, my hairs turn slightly gray uh, when I have those combos with them. So uh, how about that for a resolution? No, that's good. That's good. All right, let's move forward. We're looking into the future. Uh, Some things that we'd like to be, uh, you know, reminding ourselves of over the next 12 months. In 2023, I completed 19 trades in total. I wanted to have all these stats for the joint TCI subscribers and uh, just to kind of like an overview of everything I did. And 19 trades, I mean, to me, it sounds like a lot. If you remove the cash swapping, the Norbert's Gambit, the in and out of uh, money market ETFs, you have just seven moves for the whole year. So I made actually seven moves for the whole year. And I think that that's more than I would like, but that's a pretty good spot. You know, like my 2020 Braden would be very happy about seven moves on the year. And so I think that we're in a good place. The you know kind of ideal portfolio turnover is zero. And so uh, we're, we're in a good place. Number two, continued avoidance of diversification. That was a major theme of me in 2023, especially you know after Charlie Munger's passing, I was reading a lot of Charlie, listening to a lot of Charlie interviews. And that was a big Charlieism is avoiding diversification. And people would say like, Charlie, you own Costco, Berkshire, and apartment buildings. Like, don't you think you're a little too concentrated? And he would basically, like, in his witty way, call them an idiot without being rude. You know, maybe a little bit rude. But, you know, like, that's, it's it's kind of just like, what do you mean? The greatest business, the second greatest business, and where people need to live. Like, I'm not taking excess risk. And if you think I am, I, I, this conversation's over. And so I, I think continued avoidance of diversification is nice. Really gate business fundamentals tracking, just kind of like hygiene when it comes to tracking fundamentals. We've built a lot of tools with the FinChat dashboard, which by the way, you gotta, you gotta give that a rip if you haven't yet. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Number four, turn over some new leaves in the one to 10 billion market cap area mostly in the US market. I, th- I think I've scoured and turned over all of those rocks uh, when it comes to the Canadian market in that space. So looking at the US market, one to 10 billion in market cap, just see what's there. Dude, it, there is such a large discrepancy between valuations in the like top 10 mega caps in the rest of the market. So you know, th- there, I know that there's opportunity there. I just have to look. Uh, and number five, the presentation test. All right, so the presentation test is something that I want to do this year. And I, I don't know if it's a real thing. I, I think I just made it up, but it's extreme discipline and knowing what I own. There are some businesses that have been exceptional performers like CrowdStrike or Thermo Fisher, didn't have a great year, but has had a great decade. On the surface, I feel like I could own these businesses enough and the financials are very well, but I couldn't do a presentation on them. This is the presentation test. It's my new mindset for any company. I don't think I could give a presentation on either of those companies without embarrassing myself. And so I shouldn't own it. Uh, and so this is, the, this is the presentation <laughs> test. Yeah, it's like uh, cyber security, important, good. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. good at it. Really good. Yeah. They're really good. They at need it. it. 
Companies need it. They're paying for it. Here's all their customers. Braden, why do they need it? Hey, hey, shut up. Questions are at the end of the presentation. No, no, that's <laughs> no, those are great. I mean, I don't have too much to add there. I I totally agree, especially on the trade front. I tried to minimize that as much as possible. You know, I didn't have that many trade. Most of it was just kind of uh, same kind of thing, those uh, money market ETFs. Yeah, kind of in and out of those, and I changed a couple of them throughout the year. But, I mean, it was a $5 fee a couple of times. That's about it. So I think I'll survive, uh, you know, compared to what I was making on in terms of interest. So, yeah, something definitely that I want to keep the trading to, uh, you know, minimum as much as possible. But I think we're not big. We've never been big traders, right? So that's just continuing no. the trend for us. I yeah. do want to mention that, that doesn't include like me buying more of a stock. Um, set, I'm calling those seven trades. Like I backed out adding to new positions. That that means a sell or a new position, which I think I could get even lower. I'd like yeah. to get it even lower. Yeah, I'd probably be in the same. And I would probably consider trimming not really a trade either. It's more like a comfort level that, you know, I want to just reduce my exposure a little bit, even if I still like the business. And everyone has different comfort levels there. I've heard people saying, like, once it reaches 10%, they have a hard rule. Even if they love the business, they're just not comfortable having more than that. And that's fine, right? I, I know you're not like that. I'm not like that, obviously. Like, a lot of people would have hard palpitations with my Bitcoin exposure. And your CSU exposure, too. Well, Probably yes. more with a Bitcoin because it's more volatile. But again, we're comfortable with it. I've seen some big tr price drops in Bitcoin that, you know, I didn't panic. I kept it. Like your um, net wealth, your net worth tracker is like it's a roller coaster, <laughs> roller coaster, dude. Holy smokes! Yeah. But, but I believe in the out, asset. If you yeah, zoom exactly. out, it's been uh, quite a good looking chart. Yeah, I believe in the asset and I'm thinking long term. But so before we go too long, because you have a hard stop in 12 minutes. I do. Yeah. So first one for me, invest more money every single month. So the reason I put that is I invest in a decent amount in 2023. And considering that savings rate have definitely dropped in 2023 for a lot of people, I still consider myself fortunate to be able to invest that much fresh capital. But the reality is my wife was on maternity leave and was only receiving employment insurance. And for those not aware EI or employment insurance is great, but it only provides a fraction of your salary, which means that, you know, we were just more relying on my income uh, this year. So I had less money to invest. And EI is 55% up to the maximum insurable earnings, which I don't know offhand what it is, but it's probably around 70,000. So the max you get is 55% of 70,000. Let's just say that. Um, so if you make 100,000, you're still getting that 55% of 70,000. So if you're a higher earner, definitely takes a big hit. So still was disciplined. I still managed to save about 10% of my salary for investing. Decent amount, but I want to increase it to at least 15%. Ideally, I would want to raise it to 20%, but I have to be more realistic because we may have a large expense coming up this year and leads me to my second point, which 
whether you want to debate that, whether it's an investment or not, that's fine. But buying a new house, so I already home my home with a reasonable mortgage, very reasonable. It's manageable even with higher rates when we renew. I've mentioned it before. We were conservative when we bought it in late 2019. We did not want to overextend ourselves. But now that we have a little one, my little lady, I mean, we... The house becoming pretty small, so we're looking to ideally get something a bit bigger, most likely um, either not increasing our mortgage or very little. Um, you know, it might happen this year, but it might be in 2025, but I'm definitely putting a little bit money in terms of cash to just in case there's some additional expenses related to that. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. And obviously I'm planning ahead and it has an impact on what I'm investing. Um, so either we move further out to get more space for the same amount of mortgage, we inject some new money into it or increase our mortgage. Uh, these are all our options. We're not in a hurry and we're well aware that uh, our property is is pretty high value in terms of where it's located so um, we know we have a decent amount of leverage so that's my second one my third one I kind of come back a bit more to investing here and I I'm very cognizant and I've been bitten by that in the past but I need to do larger allocations when I start a position so I had a tendency of starting a position doing kind of a starter position and then not continuing because the valuation would get higher and then I'd get a little bit in my head for it so I have some stocks that have done really well but because they were so small in allocation they they're not needle moving if you'd like for my portfolio like Axon Dude. Axon's a good one. You yeah, should have exactly. owned a lot more Axon. Holy smokes. That's it. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, you know, yeah. you make mistakes, you learn from them. That's fine. So I made a bigger mistake by not owning any percent of it. So there you go. There, there you go. And I have a few positions that are below 1% allocation because of this. Positions that have done quite well. Like I said, Axon's a clear example. But it's also easier when you have really small position to kind of lose track of them sometime. So that's the other issue with it. So I start in 2023, I started a few positions, including Canadian Natural Resources and Allied Property REIT. And now they both represent between 1.5% and 2% percent of my portfolio and that's something I want to do is I want to make sure that if I start a position I must commit to add it until it reaches at least one percent of my portfolio since I'm adding fresh money every month it might not always be possible to start it off with one percent it is possible right now because I have enough cash to do so but clearly you know I might invest a lot of my cash in the next few months who knows so my rule is that to any position that I start it has to you know as soon as possible get to one percent I think both of our last points tie together extremely well. Like when people say they're starting starter positions, I ruffle some feathers for sure because a lot of people like starter positions and if starter positions is your thing, do your thing. You know, don't let don't let some guy on a podcast tell you not to. I think <laughs> after I was after saying that, I think it's a stupid way to invest. I I I it's controversial. Are you, are you calling me stupid? <laughs> I call you stupid. I'm calling you to try the presentation test. Yeah. Because yeah. A, a starter position is admitting that you couldn't pass the presentation test. It's like, ah, you know, now I have some incentive to own the position. It's like, you just told me you let your biases take over. 
that's that's my view on starter positions. And I like your resolution. Um, one, because then if you just add these little, little small positions, three years go by and you're like, why do I still own this? You sell the thing. And so this is like kind of a, a higher hurdle rate. We're both describing a high, higher hurdle rate for conviction and a higher hurdle rate for understanding the business overall. So I think that these are these are really good and they work together well. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was probably the, the idea behind it. It was just trying to average the cost, but then I would kind of not follow through because the valuation would would get higher and then I would like think, oh, it's not kind of worth it anymore. So that's more the mindset of it. Typically, you know, if I would start a position, I'd have pretty good conviction in it, but totally agree. I mean, for me, it's just, it's not needle moving enough if it's less than 1%. And that's the biggest thing. And, you know, between one and 2%, it's not going to destroy your portfolio if, you know, you're wrong and you lose 50% of the, the value and you sell it and you were wrong. I think you yeah, just have to be balanced there, like zero point five percent i mean yeah it's not gonna do much unless you like you know 10 bagger it basically yeah unless it's the next monster energy the next amazon the next dominoes like though <laughs> i saw a chart that showed ten thousand invested into monster beverage group oh, IPO yeah. is, is 22 million dollars can you believe that <laughs> i mean i know that it's done well so i'm not i'm not surprised yeah Oh, I saw that on uh, Twitter yesterday. Ten grand in Monster Energy was twenty-two million. It might. Have you seen this? I'm going to sidetrack. The episode's over. That's the pod. Have you seen Celsius? Have you Have you drank Celsius? Have you tried this this drink? No, I've been off energy drinks ever since I got some heart palpitations a couple of years ago. <laughs> fair, so. enough. fair enough. Just coffee now. You don't see it much in Canada. You see it everywhere in the U.S. And like you drive by Circle K, shout out Circle K, shout out Elementation Uh They like advertise the heck out of we owe, we have Celsius here. Um, you know, go no further. We're selling it here. This energy drink is absolutely crushing it. And they're basically only selling like in the U.S. And they're the law... Uh, I feel like they're, they're all the, the same large... thing, these, the ingredients in it. Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah. They are the number one beverage seller on Amazon now. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting thing. It's just, a, you know, I'm just drawing parallels between them and Monster. Like, Monster's been a monster winner. Uh-huh. Uh, Celsius has been a really big winner, and, you know, it could still have a long way to go here, this drink. I think the it's like, like BioSteel. Some of the flavors, unbelievable. Some of the flavors, the like stinky bath water. Yeah, it I, like, I don't, like I don't a, get, how do the like same people reflux. make this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you want acid reflux in a can? Uh, that'll be two ninety nine. Thanks so much for listening to the pod. Uh, it was a fun one talking about what uh, what our plans are for the the new, the new year. And yeah, you know, resolutions are cheesy and corny. But with investing, it's actually stuff that you can follow through and not have to like, I'm going to work out 47 days in in a row, uh, you know, do 100 push-ups a morning. Yeah, that's probably not going to stick. But, you know, okay, I have to know business is better before I invest in them this year. That's probably something you can yeah. you can do. 
and so I, I like investing. And for those who just you know started investing, uh, you know some ideas for ETFs. I think an easy way to start That's investing. Right. And you know if you're interested in more content from us, we post our portfolio on jointci.com, and Dan Kent is also posting there, which uh, we'll need to get him access so he can start responding to to people who have questions on uh, on there for him. Yeah, he's got lots of questions on there. That's a jointci.com. Support the show, see our portfolios. We just did it a couple of days. We'll see you in a few days. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.